Welcome to Zion Fellowship's Sermon of the Week. This podcast hosts the weekly Sunday service message from Zion Fellowship, a spirit-led and life-giving local church in Canandaigua, New York, pastored by Chris and Joan Wood. We hope this resource encourages, challenges, and helps you in your journey with God. So whether you're driving, washing dishes, or sitting in your living room, let's prepare our hearts together as we hear the word of the Thank you. The Jets play a 9.30 a.m. game in London, and Chris says, hey, I'm going out of town, want both services, so I can't put my tablet here because I can't risk the temptation of checking a football score. I can't do it. Uh, so uh, just, just tell me now, is it really bad, all you people with smartphones, is it really bad? Yeah, yeah, I got the 17-0, that, that makes sense. And I know that we don't have the 17. Like, I know that. Uh, I don't even have to check to know we don't have the 17. Um, you're finding your way to Act 17. Oh, that's wild. You're finding your way to Act 17, uh, either by flipping in onion skin Bibles or by tapping in an app, right? Like, that's... That depends on, uh, like in first service, it was a, a lot of onion skin uh, in, the, in the congregation, less so here. It's a great sound, though, when the pages go back and forth. Um, I, I am in the middle of Chris's series on things that we value at Zion Fellowship. And so they brought out the recovering Baptist to talk about the importance of the Word of God, uh, right? So uh, that recovering, right? I've been a member of this church for 21 years, and still I am a recovering. Like, like, like there are, we're always growing, we're always changing, we are always being conformed to the image and likeness of His Son, right? Like that's the way. That's the way. Um, so you're making your way to Act 17. Also, there's some good stuff in the second half of Acts, right? Like we, we stopped our look at Acts, which is fine, which is fine. Chris, if you're watching this, it's fine that you did that. But if I'm going to pick up on something that I really love from the second half of Acts and see if we can't talk about it a little bit. So join me in Acts 17. Uh, this is picking it up at verse 10. As soon as it was night... The believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now, the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. What I'd like to focus on in our time together is this phrase, of more noble character. The Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. It's a very good translation. Uh, it's a very good translation of one Greek word, and that Greek word is... Eugenesteroi. The 
eugenesteroi. So, so that's the word in the Greek for all our friends who read Greek. Uh, and I've done a transliteration where we swap out Greek letters for English letters so that you can read it. That's eugenesteroi, which means nothing to most of us, right? Um, if you look at the beginning of the word, the E-U-G-E-N, you recognize that eugenesteroi is the same Greek word that gives us the English word eugenics. Now, eugenics has a bad connotation. I'll read Webster's definition of, of eugenics. Eugenics is the practice or advocacy of controlled selective breeding of human populations as by sterilization to improve the population's genetic composition. Some of us have lived through a time when governments on the earth said, you folks should reproduce and you folks should not reproduce so that the gene pool is better. We, some of us have lived through a time, I dare say most of us have lived through a time where some government somewhere on the earth has said, you should and you should not. Uh, not pointing at this half of the congregation or this half, just, just pointing at generic people, just generic people. These folks were a little nervous. Uh, of course, modern day, you can do this. Gen uh, eugenics is done person to person nowadays. A pregnant woman can go to a doctor and say, would you screen my unborn child for the following genetic abnormalities so that I can make decisions based on whatever potential genetic abnormalities may exist in my unborn child? It is eugenics. So now... Now you're wondering, you're like, wait a second, he just read from Act 17 about how the Bereans were eugenesteroi because da-da-da-da, and that sounded like a good thing. It was of more noble character, and so that sounds better, and so what's the deal with that? Well, um, we gave it away. Eugenesteroi, el refers to goodness and genos refers to birth. Eugenesteroi means that they were better birthed. The church in Berea was better birthed than the church in Thessalonica because they received the message with gladness and searched the scriptures every day to see if these things were true. What's my takeaway? So if you have to if you're, you're online and you have to switch to cat videos quickly, or if you're here and you've got to scoot out for some reason, here's the takeaway. There are lots of ways to birth a church. You can birth a church in prayer, and some people do. You can birth a church in worship, and some people do. You can birth a church behind a dynamic speaker who stands on a platform and is just 100% Instagram worthy. And some people do. It's not me, but some people do. 
You can birth the church by deciding you're going to reach into your community and meet physical needs as the hands and feet of Jesus, touching people with tangible needs in tangible ways. And some people do. But the scripture says that the way to a better birth for your church is the word of God. That's what the scripture says. And so at Zion Fellowship, that's what we believe. Why? Because you can have a praying church that doesn't know the word. And when you're a praying church that doesn't know the word, you just pray whatever you feel like praying and there's no guardrails. There's no big picture that God is heading toward into which you pray. There's just, well, I see bad and I pray for good. You can have a church that, that worships, but all they're singing is Jesus is my boyfriend songs that don't have any depth or substance to them. Too, too far. Ben, ben, will you tell me when I go too far? Okay, okay. <laughs> I'll just say heretic and then you're good. Okay, okay, that's... Okay. You can have a church that reaches into the community and gives financial support to people with legitimate needs and then has nothing to offer after that, and then you're just nice people like all the other nice people. You can have a church with a dynamic speaker that talks long and says nothing. Zippo, bupkis of substance. But if you have a church that is birthed in the word of God, you get everything else for free. Because if you really do obey the word, you're a praying church. And if you really do obey the word, you're a worshiping church. And if you really do obey the word, you reach into your communities. And if you really do obey the word, your speaker has something of substance. Because it's not just somebody's opinions, it's what God says. How am I doing so far? Am I okay? I, uh, oh, gosh, no. I'm just, just making sure, because that's a big deal. That's a big deal, and it's 21st century. And so the way to get the likes on social media is not necessarily by speaking the truth of the Word of God. You may have noticed. So there's a temptation to say, but I want to reach people, and there are ways to reach people, but all of those highlight, all those headlines are things like, watch this person take down that group, and there's nothing there. It's not there. The scripture speaks of its own importance in multiple places. I will share some of them. This is Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. 
2 Timothy 3, Paul says, All scripture is theopneustos. Uh, the NIV translates it given by inspiration of God, but the word is literally God breathed. All scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I just want to be equipped to do the things God's calling me to do. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly... Okay, back up. All scripture... Okay. Okay. It must be that what God has given in his word is sufficient to equip the church to do the things the church is called to do. It must be. And then Paul, you turn the page, and Paul says... To Timothy, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Why? For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. We can argue over whether or not we're there, but if we're not there, we are on the road that leads there. It is increasingly more difficult to have conversations with people that don't turn into shut you down right away. I don't even want to hear your thoughts. I don't really care about the. I just want to do what I want to do. And that's, that's scary for me. That's scary. Um, uh, if you don't know that this message is super important, you are completely cut off from any contact with any outside world anywhere. Because the days are crazy. And that's not just middle age kicking in for me. That's, that's not just me going, get off my lawn. Like, that's, that's not that. It, and your music's too loud, and stop it, get off my, like, what, you can be on my lawn, I don't even care, like, fine, come over, I'm gonna sit on my porch and ignore you. There's one, there's one other, we should just go there, because this is what they do in Sunday school, right, Isaiah 40, for the grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever, right? Like this is the thing that you color when you're in Sunday school, right? You do that and then you put it on the fridge because it matters, because it's succinct. It's succinct. The grass withers, the flowers fall. In fact, that's what all of Isaiah 40 is about. But the word of our God stands forever. So what gave them the better birth? The Bereans were better birthed because they received the message with gladness and they went home every day to search the scriptures to see if these things were true. They went home every night and searched the scriptures to see if these things were true. They fact-checked an apostle. 
Like, Paul the Apostle shows up at their synagogue and says, here are all the things that are true about Jesus. And then they went home and fact-checked him to decide if they were going to put that little sticker at the bottom of his, his Twitter post or, or his Facebook post that says, you can receive more information about Jesus in the Old Testament by clicking here, right? Like, the, like they fact-checked him, an apostle, and it was okay, and it gave them the better birth. So, like, if you go home from this message and you're like, I don't think the nerd was right. I'm going to go check out, see if the nerd is right. And you, you send me a note during the week that says, you know, I was checking, and, and I got this scripture and this scripture and this scripture that I'd like to talk to you about. How does that gel with the things that you said? That is the best possible scenario for a teacher like me. And not just because I'm always glad to sit down and explain to people why they're wrong. Like, not, that's not the deal. Because that's what teachers do. Teachers want their students to say, I was thinking about this on my own, and I'm trying to, to decide if this is bogus or not, and I have some real concerns. That's wonderful! I've been here 21 years. I've known Chris Wood 21 years. I guarantee you. If you send him a note in the middle of the week or you call him in the middle of the week and you say, I was considering from the scripture the thing that you said last Sunday, and I'm a little bit, I just need some clarity on these things that I'm reading and how they gel with these things you said. That's one. I have opened him up to all sorts of emails and phone calls. And the YouTube is forever. So, like, just constantly phone calls. I've, I've opened him up to that. But I'm pretty sure if he's anything like the guy I've known for 21 years, that that's wonderful. It's the sign of a healthy church. It's a sign of a healthy church. And it's way more meaningful than, good job, changed my life. Way more meaningful. Way more meaningful. Fran, is Chris in the comment box saying, stop that guy? <laughs> ah, somebody's texting him right now to go, you really should turn on the YouTube, like right now. You really should. Ah, that's what gave them the better birth. So now, if we're not careful... We think like this, uh, we're a church. Of course we're grounded in the word. What else would we be grounded in? Of course we're grounded in the word. I have three possible alternatives. You're not going to like any of them. But this is my not caring face. So, so I'm just going to hit them, and then we'll do what we do. All right? I'm trying to fit in, Ben. How'd I do? Okay. Because the real question is, the real question is, grounded in the Word of God as opposed to what? Like, what else? It, uh, bless you and your family and all your pets, except for cats. 
Not a fan of cats. Uh, grounded in the word as opposed to what? One, some people are grounded in their opinions and their feelings. This is increasingly popular uh, in my social media feed. People who love God and are grounded in their opinions and their feelings. Well, I don't feel like that works for me. I don't feel like that's the right thing for me and my family. I don't think that that's the way I want to go with that. There are some things that the scripture is silent about that you get to choose. Cocoa pebbles versus fruity pebbles, the scripture is silent. You get to choose. Why you don't choose fruity is beyond me. But if you don't choose fruity, more for me. More for me. You, in fact, I'll tell you to choose cocoa so there's more fruity for me. Scripture is silent. You get to decide. Be a carpenter versus be a teacher versus be a stay-at-home parent versus be a missionary to the Congo. The scripture is silent. Your opinion is valid. Your feelings are valid. Go do the thing. But there are some things where you show a Christian black and white scriptures and they say, but I don't feel like God is calling me to that. Or I don't think that's the right move for me. But it's here in black and white. But I don't feel like it's right for me. And they hide behind language like, but I'm just trying to live my best life. Or I'm just trying to, to be my authentic self. And and there are some times when you need to be your authentic self. But I'll warn us that one of those times is not when the scripture lays something out in black and white. That's a warning to us. What do we do when our opinions and our feelings run up against the word of God? Who wins? The, the correct answer is the word of God, but it's not the answer most folks, uh, it's, not the, it's not the answer some folks give some of the time. I don't know if it's most, I'm saying it's at least not the answer that some folks give some of the time. And worse, worse, we're charismatic. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe that the Holy Spirit speaks to people. So we get to hide our opinions and feelings behind, but I feel that Holy Spirit is saying this. We get to do that. Folks, if the Holy Spirit agrees with you 99.5% of the time, it is not the Holy Spirit you are listening to! Because the Holy Spirit is always moving us and changing, changing, meaning things need to be changed, changing us into the image and likeness of the Son. So if the voice we're listening to always agrees with us, we are toast. We are 
host. As my friend Randy Baker used to say, the voice of the Holy Spirit and the voice that tells me I have to pick up eggs after work and the voice that tells me that I might have left the side door of the house open sound the same to me. So when I think I'm hearing Holy Spirit, I've got to run it through the filter of what does the word say? Do I have opinions and feelings? Yeah. Should you have opinions and feelings? Please do. But we don't ground them, we don't ground ourselves in our opinions and our feelings. We don't ground ourselves there. Why? Because of this. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? If I ground myself in my feelings and my opinions, I open myself up to self-deception. I tell myself a lie, and then I believe it because I think it comes from God instead of judging that through the lens of the Scripture. Two, some people ground themselves in their political ideology. This is also increasingly popular. It is increasingly popular for people to say, the Democrats will save us! Or, the Republicans will save us! Or like three people, the Libertarians will save us! Right, like, because there's always three Libertarians in every crowd, right? There's always three people going, I don't go with either of them, I'm a Libertarian. And it's, it's great. Have I identified, are there three are there, there are, oh my gosh, I love it. There are, there always are. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. Everybody has a political ideology. I have a political ideology. I'd be glad to talk to you about it at length at any point because I love talking about how we should lead and how we should govern and how we should use tax dollars wisely and how we, like, all of that. I love talking about that stuff. You should have a political ideology. You should have a way of thinking about how we should lead, how we should care for people, how we should meet the, the needs of our communities, all of that. You should have a political ideology. But it falls short. It totally falls short. Uh, when David Pawson uh, was preaching at International House of Prayer in Kansas City a bunch of years ago, uh, David, an old British preacher, came over and he preached a series of messages. And in one of those messages, he said, there was a Sunday in London where he lived where uh, I and a pastor friend of mine were speaking uh, and one of us was at a big church in London and gave the sermon, Why Jesus Would Be a Liberal. And the other one of us was preaching a sermon in another big church in London, and the title was, Why Jesus Would Be a Conservative. 
And he said, I'm not going to tell you which one I preached, but I'll tell you they were both on point. They were both on point. Uh, to quote my friend Zach Hensley, you don't get to pick a tribe. You don't get to pick a tribe. My friends that lean left are very concerned about building bridges to their community and seeing their neighborhoods grow and seeing relationships healed and seeing injustices justiced and seeing, seeing things happen in their communities that are the justice of God in our day. My friends on the right are very concerned with doctrinal purity, the truths of the scriptures, particularly as it pertains to sexual matters, which are all over the news lately. Don't know if you've been paying attention to such things. They are very concerned with how individuals live their lives. And are we going to live our lives by what, what the scripture says? Or are we going to... And, and my friends on the left say, I don't want to touch those issues because if I do, it could drive a wedge where I'm trying to build a bridge. And my friends who lean right are saying, the purity is so important that I don't care if I'm building a bridge. I just want to speak the truth and I don't even care if it's in love. You don't get to pick a tribe. You don't get to pick a tribe. Because Jesus didn't pick a tribe. Think about it this way. Jesus ticked off the Pharisees and the Sadducees, which, if you've studied the scripture at all, is quite the feat because they hated each other. They hated each other. They opposed each other on almost every conceivable view. And Jesus brought them together. Jesus brought them together. You don't get to pick a tribe. When the church does what the church is supposed to do, it upsets all the apple carts, right? You go to Acts 19 uh, in Ephesus, the gospel is preached, lots of people get saved in Ephesus, and then all of a sudden, all the, the people who, who uh, worshipped Diana burned their Diana stuff. And then the folks in charge with the power said, whoa, 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 you don't upset my apple cart. Oh, no, you don't. And there was, they, they dragged him into the arena and all of that. You don't get to pick a tribe. You don't get to say, my political ideology is it. Because the other folks have a point. Um, one other story on this. In my early 30s, when I was still teaching in Canandaigua, uh, I had a colleague of mine, and we were having a vigorous exchange of ideas over what at the time was President Bush's, oh, so, so the young people. Uh, there were two President Bushes. Um, I have to talk to the very young people. Uh, there were two President Bushes. Uh, the second President Bush in the early 2000s had this push toward faith-based programs. He was trying to get 
faith-based programs off the ground, okay? So you'll read about it in history books someday. And, and so uh, President Bush was pushing for these faith-based uh, organizations, and why don't we put more money behind that? And I said, yeah, why don't we put more money behind that? Why isn't it that the church reaches into their communities, and the church does more than just give people a check, they give them a check in, and why don't we just, just reach out to people with the love of Jesus? Why don't we do that? And, and my colleague says, yeah, that's great in theory, but the churches in our community aren't doing that. They're not reaching out. There are people in serious need. And in the meanwhile, I'm not going to let them starve. In the meanwhile, I'm not going to let them go homeless and hungry. I'm not going to do that. And I said, because all I wanted to be in my early 30s was right. and, And in theory, it works. But what do you do in the meanwhile? And, and so my political ideology ran up against a value of the scripture. And I go, yeah, yeah, I got to flex to bring that in somehow. Um, it'll happen for everybody. Everybody's viewpoint at some point runs up against the scripture. And then you've got to decide what happens in that moment. You've got to decide does my ideology win or does the value of the scripture win? And then we can argue over how to meet that. And I'm glad to do that. We can argue over how to meet those needs in the best ways possible. But I haven't met anybody whose ideology is satisfactory according to the scriptures. Am I two for two? Dare we go one more? Some people ground themselves in science. Science has gotten a real shot in the arm the last 18 months or so, hasn't it? Hasn't it? It's... It really has been invigorated, which is, which is really weird for me. It's really weird for me because we are in between, uh, chronologically, we are in between a modernist period and a postmodernist period. Um, turn to your neighbor and ask if they understand what modernism versus postmodernism is. Go ahead, go. What did you decide? What's that? That's the spirit. (laughs) Sorry, internet people. He said, tell me like I'm five. Was I looking at the right place, Braden? Braden, was I looking at the right place? That's the spirit. Um, So modernism was grounded in rational thought. We can figure it out. And that gave science a big boost, late 1800s, early 1900s, real big boost. 
We can figure it out. We can look into microscopes and see how cells work. We can figure it out. We can look through telescopes and look at the heavens, and we can figure it out. We can blow things up with Bunsen burners. We can figure it out. That's a modernist view. And it's very, very popular among people who are just older than I am. Just older than I am. Somebody told me a couple of weeks ago, you look pretty good for 60. <laughs> I do. <laughs> the postmodern idea has gained traction. Postmodern is all about your story. It's all about your narrative. And so a lot of what we see nowadays is here's the narrative. And then we make the data fit the narrative. And that works on all sides of that issue, by the way. Uh, it's, so it's been a little bit surprising to me to see science so front and center lately, because what it's really been is here's the story that best fits the data in our limited view. Here's the problem with that. Science changes by its nature. Galileo would have been banned from 1500's Twitter because Galileo said, I think the earth revolves around the sun. And all the people in charge at the time said, uh, duh, the sun moves. Look at it move. And he said, no, 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 I have math, and I have trigonometry, and I have things that say, sorry to scare you with trigonometry, and I have things to say that this works. I swear rationally, I promise you, it works. He would have been banned from 1500's Twitter. Would have been. Science changes as our understanding, ah, that, that's, uh, that's false. The data changes, our understanding changes. The process that's in place, the mechanism that keeps checking back with the data is supposed to be firm. But that is why we don't ground ourselves in it. We don't ground ourselves in something that is by its nature transitory. Um, we used to think, not that long ago, that inside your cell was just a blob of, like, jello inside every cell, and you can't see what's in there, and so it's just a blob of jello, and that's what makes up all your cells. That was the understanding. And then we got better understanding, and we grew. So if you ground yourself in something that by its nature changes, that's not much of a grounding. It, it's not an anchor. Do I do science? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I love science. But I approach science through the lens of what 
does the scripture say? And when I'm grounded in the scripture, then I don't get scared by what science says, because I say, okay, if that's true, then my understanding of the scripture is faulty, but if my understanding of the scripture is true, then I don't know how I feel about that thing over there. Right. So what do we do, right? Can't trust my own opinions and feelings. Can't trust whatever political bubble I listen to on the social media. Can't trust the science thing com complete. I can't trust these completely. I can't trust this completely. I can't trust this completely. So what do we do? We work to find ways to get the word into us. We work to find ways to get the word into us. Not a podcast where they talk about the word. Not a worship song where they sing the word. Not, not somebody's commentary opinion about the word. The word. But I, I like to listen to... Yes, I understand. Listen to the podcast, listen to the worship songs, read the commentaries, all of that is good. But we work to find ways to get the word into us. But that's not fun. It's, it's fun to pray for half an hour and just lay out our lives before God. Do that. But that's not fun. It's fun to hit play on my Hillsong playlist and just abandon my heart to Jesus. Yes, do that. But, but when I'm in the car, I really like to listen to this particular podcast or this particular preacher, and he really explains the word. Yes, do that. But have the time where you and your Bible get together and you hear what God says. But I don't have time. I'm working 60 hours a week to put food on my table, or I'm chasing three kids around. Have you seen them? They don't stop. Or but I, gotta, I got this going on over here, or I got that going on over there. I get it. I get it. We can compare notes sometime. I get it. I get it. Um, when Mike Bickle preaches on the power of a focused life, which is an outstanding teaching, by the way, he talks about budgeting your time in the same way that you budget your money. And, and the first step in budgeting your money is that you keep track of your expenses for a month or two. You keep track of all the things you spend money on for a month or two so that you can see what's going out and what's coming in so you can make a plan for what comes in. There, there, that's it. That's Dave Ramsey in 12 seconds. There it is. That's Dave Ramsey in 12 seconds. That's, now you don't have to watch the 10-hour videos. Like, there it is in 12 seconds. You ever done that? You ever kept track of your 
your expenses or your time or whatever. Bickle suggests that you keep track of your time for about two weeks in 15-minute intervals. Find out what you do Tuesday at 2.15, Wednesday at 5.30, Friday at 10 a.m., uh, Thursday at 11 a.m. That's Price is Right time. Like, what are you doing throughout a week or two? And the first thing you figure out when you do that, the first thing you do with that is you rebuke it in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, I rebuke this schedule of mine. I rebuke it. I buke it. I rebuke it. I buke it a third time. I do. Because our thoughts are, I don't spend that much time doing nothing. I, I don't spend that much time on the tickety-tock. I, I don't spend that much time hitting the heart button on the Instagram. I don't spend that much time arguing with people I don't even know on social media about things I'm not an expert on. I, I don't spend that much time watching another season of my favorite show on Netflix in an evening. I, I don't do that, right? Like, that's the first thing. When you actually keep track of how you spend your time, the first thing you do is run up against the person in your mirror and go, that's not what I... And you do the same thing with your money, don't you? you say, I don't spend that much money at Dunkin' Donuts. Oh, no, I don't. Except that you do. I don't spend that much money on silly things, but you do, right? Like, that's why you have a plan for your money. That's Dave Ramsey in 12 seconds. Like, that's it. That's, that's the thing, right? Isn't it? Isn't it? You've got the time. You've got... When we stand at the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat, judgment seat of Christ, the one thing we are not going to get away with is, but I didn't have time. Because Jesus has been keeping track of us every 15 minutes for, forever, right? Like, he's been checking in on us, and he's like, you watch way too many cat videos. Isn't it true, though? It's true. You have time. You have time to carve out 20 minutes here or 30 minutes there and read what the Bible says. You have time. It exists. What we need is the inclination. We need to actually do it. So this is not the kind of message where I end the message and then somebody plays three songs in a minor key and I say, if you want to give your heart to Jesus, you just come to the front and in abandon you. This is not that. We're not going to play uh, the, the same four chords in a minor key and bring you to the front and, and have some sort of, sort of uh, time where we give our hearts to Jesus. Because you don't answer this message here. You don't respond to this altar call here. You respond to this altar call tonight before you go to bed or tomorrow by setting the alarm a little earlier or by changing a habit somehow that lets you study the word. Now, so, so here's the thing, and I know my time is up. Here's it because they get the hook really soon, right? Like the trap door opens up if I'm not careful. Here's the thing. Do we want 
the better birth? Like, that's the question. Do we want the better birth? And, and if we want the, if the cry of our heart is, oh God, we want the better birth. We want a better birth. Then the answer comes from us partnering with what God already wants to do with us. You don't think he has things to say to you? Of course he does. Of course he does. But it's been a while. I kind of moved away a little bit. It's been a long time since I carved out that time. What parent, when the child comes back and says, I've been away for a while, and I'm sorry, and let's start over. What parent doesn't say, absolutely? Right? Like, God loves you. So it doesn't matter what was happening in the meantime. That's not the daddy that he is. He's the daddy that says, come on, let's do this. We can do this. Because our daddy God is a daddy with grace. He's not the God that says, there's my standard, go get it. He's the daddy that says, this is the standard, let's go get it. And that little piece means so much. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to go and do the things we're supposed to do. Fair? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that we can gather in your name. Thank you for your word, that you don't leave us unmoored, that you don't make us fight it out on our own, that you share with us your heart in black and white. Thank you, God for bringing this back to us, for reminding us that you were with us all along and that you have things to say to us. God, we're sorry for the times when we have grounded ourselves in our feelings instead of looking to your word. And we're sorry for the times we've grounded ourselves in our politics and on the opinions of people instead of looking at your word. And we're sorry for those times when we have grounded ourselves in literally anything that wasn't your word. Lord, we ask that you would help us to start fresh, that you would increase in us a desire for your word, a desire to hear the things that you are saying and to understand them at the core. And God, we pray that John 5 would come true for us, that it would be more than just searching the scriptures for the scriptures' sake, but that we would find you in the middle of that. Because you tell us that the scriptures are supposed to be the way we get to know you. And so I ask for every person in this room that you would create encounter with you through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.
Amen and amen. We hope this message has encouraged and challenged you in your walk with God today. Again, this podcast is a resource of Zion Fellowship, a spirit-led and life-giving local church in Canandaigua, New York. If you'd like to learn more about us, find us at our website at zionfellowship.net or find us on Facebook and Instagram. Also, feel free to give us a call at 585-394-7450. Blessings to you as you continue in your day.